It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. And the program is sponsored by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football giants. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. You can also send in your comments directly to the two of us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we have a lot to tackle over these next 60 minutes. We've got a game to recap. We have a Joe Shane presser recap. And Brian Dable also spoke to the media for the final time before the team heads to its bye. So let's start with the game, given the fact that the Giants, Paul, have now made it two straight wins for the first time this season. Mm -hmm. They held off the Patriots 10-7 as Ryland's 35-yard field goal went wide left. A dominant performance by the defense, once again, in terms of their opportunistic ways. They've had nine takeaways the last two games. And here's the other thing that I emphasize. They're scoring off of those plays. And that is far more important. Yeah, all of their points came off the takeaways. They had two short fields. field goal. Yeah. They took over at the 26 of New England and the 32. New England was the team that actually marched down the field and went 60 yards for their score. But the Giants benefited from not even half a field because they didn't even have to take over from the 50. So what the defense did for the offense in a game that we had said was going to be a grinded-out affair, was going to be low-scoring. You had two of the lowest-scoring offenses in the NFL. Pretty much, I would say, followed the script, Paul. I don't think there were many surprises from that standpoint. How about we just say they justified the billing? Yes, or lived up to expectations from the billing. But in all seriousness, you knew that points were going to come at a premium. Yeah. And I think the defense complemented the offense or vice versa, however you want to word it, for really the second straight week. Now, to be fair, both teams passed on a makeable 50-plus yard field goal during this game where the coaches obviously decided that field position was going to be so, so important that they left points on the board. Um, (laughs) I'll be frank with you. I thought about both. Then again, at the end of the game, the Patriots couldn't make an easy field goal. How much did the weather conditions factor in? It wasn't raining in the first half. So, I don't know. But both coaches were clearly uh, headstrong about the fact that tilting the field would be their most important benefit to the game or most important factor in the game. And so they both passed on potential, I think, 54-yard field goals. And in a game like this, I don't blame them because, once again, you miss that, Paul. You give a gift to the opposition. Let's not forget about that. The flip side of that coin is if you know you're offensively challenged and you've got a chance to get three points... Get the three points. And if you don't think the other team's offense is very good 
even giving them the ball at their own 35 or 40. Yeah, but you're putting them in field goal range immediately. Are you? Yeah, I mean, you're telling them pretty much to move forward and you could come out and attempt a field goal. Yeah, but the well, look, the Giants so, don't have any drives more than fifty yards. That's yesterday. more of a reason why I'm saying if you're New England, I wouldn't risk the long field goal because you're giving a gift to a Giants offense that had trouble going I, the length. I of the honestly yeah. think I, to be frank, I thought both coaches probably should have gone for those earlier field goals. But having said that, I thought it was a fifty-fifty. You could make a logical, rational case for either side. This goes back to one of my situations that I like to explain to people where there's no wrong answer. The only wrong answer is the one that doesn't work in hindsight because at the time you could make a case for either decision. Sure. Well, as long as there's rationale behind your decisions, I would say even if it doesn't go according to plan, doesn't mean it was a bad decision. That's my point. Yeah, the level of execution That's my point. just didn't match. Sure. I'm if with there's you. good yeah. logical reasoning to make choice A or choice B, then there's really no wrong answer. And I think both teams were from the same mindset. I think from the Giants' perspective, New England, as we had anticipated, took away the run game, right? They knew we're not going to let Saquon damage the game. And he had... Belichick's theory. Yeah, he had the 14-yard run and the 19-yard run. Outside of that, the Giants ran 19 times for 58 yards. Yeah. They barely got over three yards per carry. So you really had... Yeah, you had a one-dimensional offense. And Tommy DeVito protected the football for the second straight week. And in a game like this, you don't want to give gifts. We were just talking about. So he deserves credit for that. He didn't give gifts to the commanders. He didn't give gifts to the Patriots. And what are the common element between both of those teams? Well, commander's offense better than New England. I don't want to downgrade Washington, but two teams that have been struggling to be consistent. So the last thing you want to do is shift the momentum in their favor. And I think DeVito did a good job preventing that from happening. The other part of the equation is Jalen Hyatt and Isaiah Hodgins made plays for their quarterback. And that's something, Paul, right? We've been talking about. (laughs) The skill set players doing something to help elevate the offense. Hodgins gets the stiff arm. I'll let you continue. I know you're smiling ear to ear. And then Hyatt, who has a fantastic read, by the way, on the geography of the field. He always knows where he is. He always knows how to get both feet in. But yet three plays of 20-plus yards, that can't get overlooked as well. How many times on this program have you heard me in the last, I don't know, six years even, asking guys to make plays for the quarterback? Giants actually had three drops yesterday, too, by the way. Yeah, Barkley and Wandell on the same drive. And then Shepard later on. Yeah. Uh, It's only the second time in nine games where they had at least uh, two drops or more in a game. Now, neither was going to be an explosive play, but it does certainly add up over the course of a drive. I'll give you that. So they've gotten better since the first month of the season in terms of catching the ball. But making plays for your quarterback. Oh, people, I can't stress it enough. You're getting very emotional on this subject. Yeah, I I can see. Because I miss it so much. But I I try to pull at the strings of your heart during the course of the program. I just want you to know. That's my intent, but please go ahead. Yes. And and for Hodgins to do what he did to Jones on that play, I mean, look, folks, how many times have we seen this with the Giants in the last 10 years? Receiver makes the catch there, and he stumbles, or he gets tripped up, 
and now it's first and goal at the six or whatever it is, and they settle for three. Because that's just the way it's been here for a long time. No, Hodgins was like, that's not happening to me. I'm making sure that I break this tackle, and I'm going into the end zone. There was no settling for three. It was getting the seven. I can't tell you the smile that that put on my face because they need to do that more often. And it was a good thing. And, of course, Hyatt goes without saying. Jalen Hyatt, the guy's a big play waiting to happen. And it's about time that, you know, we recognize that quarterback-receiver chemistry is not just a figment of people's imaginations or coach speak. Hyatt told me after the game, he said, you got to remember something. When I first got here, when I was drafted, Tommy DeVito and I were throwing all the time. Yeah, on the third team. Yeah. I, I wasn't working with the ones. I was working with the threes. So I was working with Tommy. And he credited those months of experience because all along he's been throwing with Tommy as one of the reasons why they were able to do what they did yesterday. Now, the other part of the equation is also having the time to throw him the ball down the field, too. No doubt. And that has probably been the biggest obstacle that has prevented plays like that consistently throughout the season. So, DeVito had time. He took the chance. Hyatt on the back end makes the play. There's many different layers, the point is, to having there that are. convert. There are. But this all goes back to the spider web that I talk about all the time. Because people ask all, uh, you know, constantly on this program, why aren't the Giants getting the ball downfield? Why aren't they getting more explosive plays? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you need a lot of pieces to work to make them happen. But one of those things is the quarterback and the receiver making sure they're on the same page. There was a simple play yesterday where Mac Jones, they were in their own territory. I don't know if you remember. He threw a pass where the receiver went one way, the ball went the other. And Mac Jones was visibly upset. Yeah, it was Gasecki. Yes, it was Gasecki. Yep, it was. Because he immediately pointed at him as he was coming back. Yeah. And, you know, look, I don't want to rip Mac Jones for that because I think it's good for your quarterback to be emotional and it's good for him to take charge. I agree. But at the same time, there's a time and a place to do it. Wait till he gets back to the huddle. If you want to say something, say it to him there. I don't think you need to point it out to the world while the guy's coming back from his route. I think that's that's a little much. A little much. And that miscommunication or that lack of chemistry clearly cost them. And so I just think part of the Tommy DeVito factor is that he has blended into this team very, very well. They've accepted him. They respect him. They appreciate him. I'll tell you something, folks. I think they play for him. I really do. I think they're playing for him. And, you know, you put all these things together, I I couldn't take him out of the lineup right now. I'd I'd have to I'd have to let him play. He's got he has earned a longer leash from me to prove that he deserves to be a, a member of the fifty three next year. Well, I think that presents a nice transition into other topics that we want to get to because Brian Dable was asked 
about the quarterback situation. First, I want to get to him, then we'll bring in Joe Shane. And Dable said they have a lot of things they need to talk about during the bye week. He did not provide an update on Tyrod Taylor's health, who will be eligible to come off of IR for the Green Bay game. He had not met with the medical people at that point, so that's why he really had nothing to offer and didn't really give any inkling other than he did say he had a conversation with Tommy DeVito about what he wants him to do during the bye week. And one of the things was get ahead of Green Bay. So at least the mindset right now is, and hey, until they go back to Tyrod Taylor, Tommy DeVito has to operate as if he's the starter. So there's no reason why he shouldn't delve into Packers prep, look at them on film, look at some of his previous starts. And then as far as Joe Shane is concerned, and he said, assuming full health, ready to go next season, Daniel Jones is the starter. That statement was made. That's number one. Yep. But did say that there's a little bit of unknown, Paul, with respect to the depth chart because Tyrod is not under contract and Tommy DeVito is really the only guy that they can bring back who has some security of a contract. So they probably in all likelihood, regardless of where Daniel Jones is in his rehab, they have to address the position. That was at least what Joe Shane pointed out. But the reason I bring that up is if Tommy DeVito is the lone guy under contract and you are looking ahead, there is additional value in having him continue to start because it's not a question of contract. And if Daniel's not ready to go week one, he could perhaps be a candidate to be the starting quarterback early next season. That's part of the unknown that Joe Shane was talking about because he said, uh, we must be prepared to start the season with another quarterback if Jones is not ready for week one. He said, "We, we need to make sure we've got a guy who can win a few games there. And he also mentioned that he said he's known guys who have come back from the injury within eight months. So he said, I don't know if Daniel's going to be ready for week one or Everyone's not. different. So everybody's different. So they need to find out more about Tommy DeVito. Could he be that guy? He also said there's a chance that Tyrod Taylor will make it back because he's got the voidable years, so he's going to be yeah. on the outs. But, but there's more of a guess with him than there is with DeVito, at least. Yes, right now. Yeah. For sure, because he's got the voidable year built in. So, and and he also said there there is a chance they could still draft a quarterback, but he would not indicate how high. When the writers tried to press him about drafting a quarterback high, he simply said he's looking at all positions, he's going to take the best player available, and that if Daniel Jones is healthy enough and they will monitor his progress during the offseason – Once he's healthy enough to be the starter, Daniel Jones is starting here. He also mentioned, future-wise, it's important to connect this too. He's going to do everything he can to try to bring Saquon Barkley back. He said he wants him back. Yeah. And they're going to try harder to see if they can work out a deal with Barkley. So, folks, you can relax on both of those fronts. Well, one thing I want to add with Barkley, he was asked about the trade deadline, why there wasn't a more aggressive approach to move him when the offer came, for example, for Leonard Williams. And he said, Barkley is the best offensive weapon we have. I'm paraphrasing. And one of the best in the league. And that was one of the reasons why they didn't think that they wanted to part ways with him. That was at least the rationale. With respect to your point about quarterback in the draft, I mean, you can connect the dots and say, hey, in their mind, Paul, if they think the quarterback is the best player available when they're set to pick, it's possible they take a quarterback. He didn't rule that out. No, he did not. But all he said was, it's going to be the best player available philosophy, so therefore he's not going to rule out any position at this point. And as we mentioned, very hard to assess 
what the options are when you don't know what the draft order is no doubt. at this point. The other two really hot buttons to, uh, to address in Shane's conversation, uh, he said that his staff basically gives him 20 to 25 must-see schools during the season so that he can personally go and scout them and work them into his road trips with the Giants. And he says when he goes, he's not looking for quarterbacks because we get all these people on the web. Oh, Joe Shane went to USC. Joe Shane went to North Carolina. Joe, Joe Shane went to Oregon. He must be looking for the quarterback. No, no, that's not the case. He's going to the top 20 or 25 programs that his scouts have identified. And they say, Joe, go take a look at these schools. They've got the most prospects on them. Go see what you think because there's a lot of fruit there. High volume. And he says when he goes, he looks at all the positions. He's not focusing on just one. So please, when you see it on Twitter that Joe Shane is at a certain school, don't automatically think he's there for the quarterback. Okay? Everybody seems to assume that. That would be a stretch. Okay? The other point. Asked about Evan Neal, moving possibly to guard. His quote was, don't think so. He said he has seen enough of Evan Neal that he has to play better, but knows he's been ravaged with injuries and said, I've seen enough of him in college. I know what his tools are. He's a tackle. I know he can play tackle in this league. That's the intention right now is that he is going to be a tackle. So you can put those phone calls to rest as well. Yeah, they're not at the point where they're ready to abandon the tackle idea for Evan Neal. But did point out that he has to play better and said even Evan Neal would tell you that himself. Without a doubt. If he were to evaluate his own play. And he said that he's gone back and watched his Alabama film just to get back to what was appealing to reinforce his thoughts. And they still see things that are capable of coming to fruition on the NFL level. The one thing that I thought of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this goes back to Dave Gettleman. When they drafted Andrew Thomas, Paul, I think it was brought up that when they were evaluating Josh Allen, the Jaguars pass rusher, the year prior, Mm -hmm. they noticed how Allen went up against Andrew Thomas to prepare them the following year. So the reason I think your point is well taken about sometimes you're getting ahead of future drafts and you want to go to games because you want to see kids that may come out the following year. There's so many different reasons why you go to one game. It doesn't necessarily have to revolve around the quarterback. As far as the other thing, that was brought up with both Dable and Shane was even asked about, and we might as well address it, is the Jake Glazer report with respect to Wink Martindale and the dynamics of the relationship between Wink and Brian Dable. Dable was asked about this after the game, and he came out and he said that the only thing they fight over is a piece of pizza. That was his phrase. Yeah, he said they had a donut together this morning. Yes, but he used, I believe, pizza (laughs) was the food reference. And I love that, by the way. Well, of course. Well, Dable, <laughs> Dable makes fun of himself all the time when it comes to his figure. So yes, he does. it's no surprise that he went the food route, but he didn't play into the media reports or give it any more fuel to the fire. And he stuck with that ground when he spoke to the media earlier today. He basically yeah. said, I'm not going to add anything. I'm pretty much going to leave my comments as they are because the pressing question was, can you guarantee that Wink Martindale will be here beyond the season, right, Paul? He must have been asked that at least two to three times. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm sticking to my comments. 
from the other day. Then Joe Shane was asked about it. Well, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. He did ask, uh, he was asked about why'd you give him a game ball? Correct. And he said, well, they had three takeaways and held the opponent yeah, well, the to defense seven points. Fantastic. And he's like, I've given yeah. a game ball to coaches before. He deserved it. And it's two straight weeks that yeah. the defense has performed at a high level. And yes, he did emphasize, I've done it before, because he was then asked the follow-up, well, that's unusual. And he goes, no, I've done that before. Right. During my tenure as a head man, or I'm sure he's seen so it, So it wasn't just for show, was the point. Correct. But what I wanted to add more layers to this is Joe Shane said, hey, Brian Dable just addressed it, but he was asked about what did you observe mm. between the relationship of Wink Martindale and Brian Dable? And Shane's response was the same way the relationship has been and the communication when they first entered the building is exactly how it's been operating to this day. That's what he had added. A couple other quotes he said, uh, there will always be noise when you're going yeah. through a uh, season like this. He also said, quote, don't know where some of this stuff comes from. Another and, quote from him was also, it is what it is. So basically, he's going to allow it just to lie there on the table. There's no reason to go any further with it. And the other thing also that Dable mentioned, and this to me goes back to, I think, conversations that you and I have had, especially when player emotion was put under the microscope mm -hmm. following the last game in Dallas, that Dable said, coaches are competitive. They're human beings, they're emotional, they're all competitive, and you have a great deal of respect for your coaches, but at the same time, dialogue is not out of the ordinary during the heat of battle within a game. And I'm paraphrasing that. I'm not saying he used the heat of battle, but he made it apparent that, at least I interpreted it, coaches and players are human beings and they're going to get emotional during the course of a game and you should not read into every single interaction. Do I need to tell you how many times I know for a fact that Parcells F-bomb guys like Belichick and Earhart when they were on his staff? I'm sure. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Look, if your team wasn't going well and you had a head coach with a bunch of yes men, and I've seen those staffs before, the ship just continues to float down the river and take on more water, yep. and then it sinks to the bottom of the river and everybody is gone. You need a coaching staff that has enough respect for the head coach and vice versa that they can challenge them, that they can disagree, that they can come at each other and discuss different ways to approach things, have other ideas, have other points of view, have some disagreements. That spice, the oregano of life, if you will, <laughs> that's, that's important if you're going to maximize your output. So, yeah, have there at times been some disagreements? Absolutely, but that's known as healthy interaction. Well, you'd want individuals on your staff who think differently from you because if it's just an echo chamber, I don't think that does good for anybody. I would say an echo chamber is not good for not just sports, but any facet of life. If you're living in this world just to hear what you want to hear, then you're not necessarily going to make progress on any front from that standpoint. But that's just a piece of philosophy that could go beyond the realm of sports. The other thing real quick that I wanted to add before we open up the phone lines, and I'm not saying to read into this, but if you remember when he left Baltimore, there was a lot that was made about the relationship between he and John Harbaugh, Paul, if you recall. Mm -hmm. And they go back. Wink worked for Harbaugh's father. So 
the relationship between the Harbaugh's and the Martindales is historical. And you listen to the two of them speak about one another because I know we did a feature on Giants.com with all the new coordinators when they came about. And the Giants interviewed John Harbaugh for that mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. And he spoke immensely highly about Wink Martindale, even though there was some baggage or rumors swirling that there was some friction and bad blood. So it's another example. You know what happens at the end of the day? When teams don't do well and the record is not glowing, it is very easy for these things to emerge and steal the headlines. This really isn't that surprising from that standpoint. Frustration allows these little pebbles to create blisters. Really, is what it, it always comes happens. down to. There are always going to be tiny pebbles that are going to wind up in your shoes at some point. The question is, <laughs> is your foot already sore? <laughs> because if it From is... kicking them away, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Then, then it causes a blister. Well, I, I, I think it's much to do about nothing. I really do. I mean, look, New England on the opposing sideline, they've been dealing with reports about Belichick's future left and right. And then there was a report that came out that supposedly he signed a new contract. So... It is what it is. As you said, Paul, sometimes there's a lot of noise, but there's not always substance behind it. With that being said, a few reminders before we open up the phone lines here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can check out the Giants Huddle podcast. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go to Giants.com slash podcasts. In terms of single tickets, there are some that are still available. They're on sale now. Don't miss a Giants game at MetLife Stadium. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We check in with Scott in New Mexico. Scott, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing all right. What's happening? Uh, in regards to the Martindale, before I get to my main point, in regards to the Martindale-Dable situation, it might be kind of inconsequential because every year uh, six or seven head, uh, head coaches' openings come up I think Frank Wright was just let go yesterday. He was. No, he was actually fired today. Yeah. yeah. Fired today. Okay. And so there'll be another four or five coaches that won't make it this year. And Wink Martindale is an excellent coach as far as defense. And I'm sure he's going to get an offer from somebody uh, no matter what. So uh, I, I don't think this issue is really that important. But uh, what I, my main question to you guys are, and I kind of agree with both of you, especially Paul, I think uh, Tommy DeVito was sort of, breathe some, uh, I don't know, a breath of fresh air into the offense, and hopefully he'll be able to maintain that. But the reality is the Giants are scoring one-and-a-half touchdowns a game. Right. And and that's the reality. And the questions I have for both of you, we know that Jalen Hyatt had a great game. Uh, Saquon Barkley had a good game, and then all of a sudden he went away for some reason. But how do you sustain, uh, they've won two games, both against losing teams. But forgetting that for just a second, one and a half touchdowns a a game is not sustainable. Are there things that they can do uh, to increase that total? And that's the real question I have for both of you. And I'll be glad to take it off the air. But I'm really concerned as they get further into the season, you know, they're going to play Green Bay, which also has a losing record, and then, 
Uh, they're going to play Philadelphia twice at the end of the year, which is the best team in football. Well, and right the Rams, now. who scored a lot Rams, of points exactly. in their other game. Yeah, right. I mean, the caliber of the competition has to be taken yeah. into Correct. consideration. There's no doubt about that, Scott. And I appreciate the phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring. With respect to his question, I think it's a very valid question because actually I was looking over, Paul, my charts just to see the touchdown tally for this season. And you look at the fact that touchdowns for the season overall. Okay, so this is not just passing touchdowns. They have 17 touchdowns as a team. And they've played 12 games. So you do the math. That's why it's a little over one per game. But they only have 11 touchdowns through the air in 12 games. And those are numbers that we were talking about all of last season. So you got two seasons now where, I mean, you're barely keeping your head above water. The Patriots, by the way, they have held each of their last opponents to 10 points. And do you know they have lost both of those games, Paul? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine, and I'm not saying there's friction, but the defense comes back on Monday in the meeting room, okay? And they have a conversation about how their performance went. Didn't we tell people last week the Patriots have a, yeah, we know, a, we were definitely, a solid defense? We were. We were indeed. That, not that I'm saying that's a surprise. I'm just saying that. Oh. All okay. I'm saying is is that you hold a team to 10 points and you lose both games. Do you know right. that the Patriots are the only team this season that has held opponents to 10 points or less and has lost both of those games? No. Look. Yeah, I, it's not sustainable to answer Scott's question. What it comes down to is this. Despite the depth in the wide receiver room, I think we all agreed before the season started that the only veteran target who had a 1,000 yards on his resume, was Darren Waller. And I think I made very clear to you folks that in my mind, he was going to be the leading receiver on this team. He would get the 1,000 yards, the 1,200 yards, or the, uh, the 1,200 yards. He'll get the guy. He'll be the guy who gets over 75 catches. He's going to be the one guy who you'd want on your fantasy football team in terms of the Giants' offensive passing game. Are you giving out fantasy advice? Well, people were asking about it, so I told I'm them. Stunned. I said, "I wow. said, this stay. is a new leaf for you." I said, "Stay what away, stay away." I said, "Stay away I, from all Giants offensive players except for Barkley and Waller." Yeah, but you don't normally go out of your way to provide well, even are, advice for there them. There are people. look. Most of the planet has been infected by this alien virus known as Welcome fantasy to football. Fantasy football, Paul Dettino. <laughs> it's an alien just, virus, is what it is. <laughs> I'm just amazed. It's an alien yeah. virus. And since most people are infected with it, I told everybody, Barkley and Waller, those are your guys. Barkley will run for over 1,000. Waller's going to catch over 1,000. Yep. Those are the only two guys. They're going to be wide receiver by committee. We told you that back in July. Okay? Well, the fact that Waller has basically been shelved, for lack of a better term, with the injuries at the beginning of the season, they were sputtering. Yeah. Then when he started to get it going, he got hurt. Yeah, and he has had a history with that too. So that's a big deal. We think, we think he's going to be back very, very soon. Dable was know. asked about him but had no update because he didn't, as I mentioned with Taylor, meet with the medical people. So that's one way that the Giants can increase their offensive production and maybe score some more points is get Darren Waller back. Number two, more consistency in the offensive line. They finally have a group of guys playing together. But yet we know that's going to change because whenever Neal comes off his sprained ankle, he's going to replace Tyree Phillips at right tackle. So once again, another change is coming on this offensive line. 
And that is inevitable. You're not going to be able to avoid that because you got to get Evan Neal back in there. So how well does the rest of the line continue to play as they get more and more snaps together? That will also determine how many points the Giants can score. Tommy DeVito, can they continue to play for him and with him to the point where he's making big plays? You know, we've seen him take some shots, create some explosive plays downfield, but they don't necessarily lead to points. Is he going to be able to finish off more of these drives as he gains more experience? These are these are all the factors involved in Hugo's question. There's no or Scott's question. Yes. Scott's question. Yes. There's not one little button you press and say, "Oh, the Giants will score more points." It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. I would add to me one of the biggest contributing factors to why they don't consistently finish drives and score points is whether you want to blame the offensive line or you want to blame the quarterback. To me, it's irrelevant. The sacks they got to cut down on them, Paul. I mean, sure. the one thing we didn't bring up is Tommy took six sacks yesterday, took nine against the Commanders, five against the Cowboys, okay? And he took six of the eight against the Raiders. Yeah. That's a trend. And the reason why I bring that up is because it goes without saying that's a negative play, but look at the down and distance on third down yeah. as a result of that. Yeah. And it's no surprise. They were four of 13 on third down. They had eight downs of the 13 for eight yards or more, but they had a third and 15, a third and 16, two third and 17s, and a third and 20. That is way too high. I don't care whether it's Daniel Jones, Tyrod Taylor, or Tommy DeVito. You are not converting those downs and distances at a high rate. So the negative plays via sacks, they've got to cut that down. If that doesn't stop, you can tell me all you want about the return of Darren Waller, no disrespect, but I don't think one guy in particular is going to help overcome that. Well, as Carl Banks said to me, because I, I, look, Tommy DeVito's biggest hurdle to overcome is that he does hold the ball too long on a number of occasions and does take these sacks. Now, the flip side to that coin, because you have to acknowledge the facts and then you have to say, well, what's negative about it and what's good about it? What's negative about it is that they get caught behind the change a lot. Absolutely. That's my point. Yep. What's, what's good about it? The fact that he takes so many hits and he doesn't get hurt, he's proven tough and durable, he keeps getting up every time, and he's getting crunched, by the way. the last Yeah, but month. you don't like that trend, though. <laughs> no, but you appreciate yeah. his durability, like Eli. All right? You appreciate his durability. That's a positive. What else do you appreciate about it? He doesn't make a bad play worse. And I explained this on the postgame last night. How do you make a bad play worse? Well, if you fumble the ball and lose it, if you panic and throw an interception... If you go back and get pressured, and then in trying to escape, you run another 10 yards back and lose 20 yards on the sack instead of 10. Or intentional grounding, too, I would Intentional grounding. You know, Tommy DeVito has a very... I can say this now after seeing him for three games. He does have a knack for not making bad plays worse. Would you like him to cut down on the bad plays? The sacks? Yes. But it says a lot for a rookie quarterback this young in his career to not make bad plays worse. Like I said before the game last week, you don't want him to be Zach Wilson. And he is clearly not Zach Wilson. Thank goodness 
He is not Zach Wilson. That's the last thing you want him to be. Joe Shane used the term snowball when referring to the opening drive against the Cowboys, and then you had the false start, and all of a sudden you block field going, everything he said snowballed after that. I would say Tommy doesn't get the Giants into a snowball scenario mm-hmm. when negative plays happen. So that is the silver lining from that standpoint. But I'm saying they've got to completely avoid the negative plays, period, if they want to at least give themselves a yeah. reasonable chance to move the ball no and finish drives. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jay is in Phoenix joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Jay? Hey, guys. Um, fun calling after a win. Um you know, these questions from the reporters, I just want to chime in on that. It sounds like they need a little tension in their life as it relates to their job. Because I don't know about you guys. I get so tired of hearing the same question asked to Brian Dable a different way, twisted a different way by the next reporter. It's ridiculous, and uh, they should be called out on that. But anyway, I was calling because, you know, one of the things I wanted to see as the season went along was how they responded to adversity. Cause Dable talks a lot about that in his career, or not in his career, but since he's been with the Giants. And um, I, I like to see that they're, they're, we've got positive momentum. You know, some good things are happening, in particular the defense. Not even, you can say all kinds of great things about the defense. Um, but one of the things I wanted to notice, I noticed about the offense yesterday, and looking at that game, it reminded me of the Super Bowl of Super Bowl Forty Six when Belichick was trying to take away Cruz and Knicks. And it opened up the opportunity for Manningham to be the hero. And it seems like that's what happened yesterday with the running game. He took away Saquon Barkley for the most part. I mean, it was it only had 58 yards rushing as a total team. But then Jalen Hyatt was that one player that they <clears throat> they didn't account for, and he burned them and had a great game. So it was just fun to see, you know, uh, it just reminded me of that game and how I knew Belichick was going to try to take away Barkley and, Giants were smart enough to find another way. I think that's a very astute observation by you because Hyatt made three big plays yesterday and came within a hair of making a fourth. And the thing about those explosive plays, every one of them was in man-to-man coverage. Hyatt recognized it, DeVito recognized it, and the Giants took advantage of it each time. Well, but part of that is also, I think, Belichick saying, I don't know if it's him overlooking Hyatt. It's basically saying, let's see if Tommy can make those throws. Let's see if Tommy yeah. can make the throws. Yeah, that's and what see, I think Bill's philosophy and let's was. see if Hyatt can finish sure. the play. Yeah, absolutely. And both guys proved that they could do it. And multiple times they proved it. And, and that, that was and, the difference. And that's yeah. the beauty right now of these young kids growing. Hi, right, Jay. Appreciate yeah, the no, phone call. No, yeah. it was awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you, guys. you got it. Absolutely. I mean, the one thing, though, I will add to the last caller's comments, I understand you're looking for positives and motivation. But remember, if there's anything that the early stages of this season taught, regardless of the rationale behind it, what do we always say? Just because you finish a season strong has no indication or bearing on what's going to happen the following year. So for this context, it's great to see them put together wins, but don't run wild to say, oh, well, if they do this in a four-game stretch, that means it could come back in play for weeks one through four of 2024. Oh, I, I don't think that's what the guy no, was talking well, about. I, I interpret it a little bit like that in terms of when you say positive momentum and what it can mean moving forward. That's all. That's why I wanted to add that. I think the only positive momentum, and it's really a misnomer, it's about young players' maturity and growth. That's real. 
You could talk all you want about how momentum does not carry over or translate into better results the following season. I won't argue with you on that. That's foolish because there is no direct connection there. But what there is, the reality is, young players, as they get more snaps, will either get better or, for whatever reason, potentially get worse. Dan Reeves used to say all the time, you never stay the same. Yeah. Okay? The more you're on the field, you're either going to go up or you're going to go down. And for these young players, like a DeVito, like a Hyatt, they're showing ups. That's legit, Lance. Yeah. And it, oh, I'm and, not disagreeing and, with that. And yeah. if he's talking about a positive vibe and a positive momentum for these young players, if that was his context, he's absolutely right. Yeah, I don't know what his context was. We didn't necessarily bring that up. I interpreted it one way. You interpreted it differently, and that's fine. And actually, Joe Shane, he brought up John Michael Schmitz, who yep. has looked good. He's played a lot. Hyatt Banks. came into play. Deontay Banks. Eric Gray, actually, and we should address this, he also came up in the conversation. And Joe Shane, actually, he took responsibility on himself because he was pressed upon the return situation. And Jamison Crowder, who was on the roster, who has since returned to Washington, and how keeping him may have given them a little bit more stability. And he said, hey. On the port return yeah, game. We had to make a decision about keeping seven wide receivers. Couldn't keep eight. So that influence sacrificing the return game and that he said he and the staff had conversations about Eric Gray and their level of confidence, knowing that there wasn't a whole lot of work in college, but there was some, and they felt confident that they could utilize him. But in fairness, he said, hey, you want to put any blame on me about how the return game has played out? I'll take full responsibility. He was very candid with yeah. everybody, and he said, I'm not hiding from that, but there were decisions that had to be made with other positions on the roster, and that's why you couldn't hold on to a guy like Crowder. And we talked about that very dilemma that he was going to have, and we did not know. We thought that Crowder would have a leg up on the return game, but we also counted the numbers of players at other positions and said, hey, they got too many receivers here. Somebody's going to have to go. And Joe... Did, did take that on his own shoulders and then also added they're very happy to have Oshevsky. Yes, based on the fact that the Steelers parted ways with him and they were able to bring him into the mix. And I'd bring him back, by the way, if I were the Giants. And he's, I don't he's think, been solid. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to strain the salary cap. And I'm sure if he can have another opportunity to start, he'd probably welcome the opportunity as well. More of a reason why the whole tanking narrative makes no sense because here you have a guy auditioning for next season and some job security. So why wouldn't you want to play hard under those circumstances? <laughs> I don't know. Chris is in North Carolina joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Chris? Yeah, how are we doing, uh, Mr. Paul Dottino and Lance Meadow of New York Giants Big Blue Kickoff Line? We're Hello. doing very well. So what do you have for us? So listen, I've got a... I've got a point to make, and it's going to take a little, little bit of time. I just want you all, both. I want all the Giants fans to hear it. Len, Charlie, Marvin, all of you. I want you all to listen to my point. I've been a longtime Giants fan and a longtime listener, and I watched quarterbacks grow up. Bill Sims, Fran Parkinson. I watched Y.A. Tittle with my dad. I watched who's my favorite quarterback of all time, Eli Manning. One of the most durable, <clears throat> always on the field, every game, no matter if he gets hit or not. And my point is with both of you, and I just want everybody to listen to what I got to say. When Brian Dable took over the Giants team and Daniel Jones was the quarterback, okay, 
He started that game last year against the Tennessee Titans. Okay? Daniel Jones threw that interception in the left corner of the end zone. Okay? Now, after that interception, Brian Dable followed him back to the bench, and he looked at him in the eyes and said, what are you doing? Because he knew he had the tight tight end open for the touchdown. Okay? Now, let's fast forward to this year. Okay? Let's go to the Seattle Seahawks game against the Giants. And this is for Paul Bettino. And you're right. Saquon Barkley, I believe, is the best running back in the NFL, even better than Christian McCaffrey. But here's the point I got to make. Daniel Jones, that night, I believe he lost the trust of of Brian Dable. And I'll tell you why. Because he looked at that receiver the whole time when he had Darren Waller wide open in the end zone for a touchdown. And then after that play, he followed Daniel Jones back to the bench, and what did he do? He threw that paddle at his feet. I think on that night, he lost trust in Daniel Jones again. Well, Chris, you're essentially you're doing the same thing that we were talking about that the media is doing and fans when you read so much into human interaction on the sideline. I mean, you could do the same thing with Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, right? And people would say, oh, those guys don't like each other. There's bad blood. And then Shepard no, said after the game. But, li- but listen, Lance, this is my opinion of the situation. The Giants team together, it's very good. Their defense, they're just on the field way too long. I mean, this quarterback, Tommy DeVito, i got to tell you, what Brian Dable's doing with this unscouted, undrafted rookie is it's just amazing. I'm telling you now, and I agree with Paul Bettino. I think Jalen Hyatt is going to be the next OBJ of the Giants. And here's the reason why. Because he has not really – he's progressing to be that way. Because look at that play he made on Sunday against the Patriots. They didn't just send him deep. Kafka took him across underneath the coverage. And what did he do? He beat that DB to get the first down. I'm telling you guys, the Giants team is a team. And I believe that this team, I'm telling you, starting their game against the Green Bay Packers, if we beat them, we're going to be a tough team to beat. I think the Giants, and I'll tell you, you may call me crazy, but I think the Giants can beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Giants Stadium because their defense is not good. And the Giants' D is. Yeah, but I and think, well, Chris, yeah, no, l- listen, we, listen well, we, we understand where you're coming call, from and appreciate call, the phone call. Call us back yeah. the week of the Eagles game, and we'll talk about that well, game. But what I think he's overlooking is the offensive struggles that has not disappeared even with Tommy DeVito under center. And I'm not taking a shot at Tommy. The defense has been good. It's been, at times, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. There's been a lot of rough performances. Yeah. Last two games against teams that, once again, have losing records, have struggled, that the Giants can match wits with, they have outplayed, and they deserve credit for that. But I think what's missing from the last caller's commentary is whether Daniel Jones has been under center, whether Tyrod Taylor's been under center, whether Tommy DeVito's been under center, the Giants have had the worst scoring offense in the NFL. And you want to beat the Eagles? You want to make that bold declaration? I'm telling you, 13 and a half points, no matter what you think of the Eagles' defense, is not going to do it. It's not going to do it. So you can tell me all you want. And to expect that Giants defense to hold everybody to 10 points moving forward is also asking a lot, despite how good they are playing. And I, I don't 
I don't want to ruin any of the feel-good feeling that's around here today, but I probably could have appreciated the defense not allowing the Patriots to kick a 35-yard potential game-tying field goal yesterday. It might have been kind of better for them to prevent them from even getting into field goal range if you really want to nitpick. But, <laughs> you know, sure. I mean, to be honest, I think Belichick was playing for the tie. I really do. I think he was looking to go into overtime. I think he wanted to get the field goal to tie it. I did oh, not yeah. see enough aggression. Well, I don't think he trusts on, his quarterback. Right. I, don't, <laughs> I didn't see enough aggression on his offense to go for the winning touchdown drive. I think he was thinking, kick the field goal the whole way, and let's go to overtime and take our chances. I wholeheartedly agree with you. But once again, I think the reason why and, and, he wasn't aggressive was once again because of the guys under center. Okay. So and, and that's he fine. had no option, I guess, is my point. And that's point. fine. Yeah. And that goes back to game flow, yeah. which we talk about a lot as well. And one of the other items that you forgot before in terms of uh, the points that the Giants are scoring the game flow, they know where they're hampered. They know where they have difficulties. The areas of the playbook are the areas of the game where they're just challenged right now. So they go in strategizing for a certain type of game, a certain type of game flow, a certain type of philosophy and blueprint. The Giants are going in with this very thought in mind that, you know what? We're just going to play sound, fundamental, offensive football, try to mix in some things, but basically we're going to lean on Saquon Barkley. We're going to look for some big plays if we can get them, and we're going to hope that our special teams coverage units, which have been good, are going to give us good, good field position, and our defense, which has certainly now come up with a lot of big plays, will continue to gel and make those kinds of plays. So in one regard, the Giants are not going in saying our path to victory is scoring 30 points. They realize that they don't have that ceiling. Yeah. So they're going in trying to win a low-scoring game, which does impact to some degree their offensive play-calling philosophy and why they are limiting themselves from scoring more points. Sure, they know their limitations, but Tommy DeVito was taking chances down the field against New England, and you could have argued he didn't have to do that, right? They could have said, all right, well, we're going to take small see, chunks here or there, and they that's it. knew they were there because they knew Belichick was going to concentrate on Barkley. We told you that. He was going to do everything he could to limit Barkley, and I said time and time again last week, and even on the pregame, Tommy DeVito's going to have to make some throws for the Giants to win. He will have to. He did. But did the Giants go into this game thinking that their offense is going to have to score 28 points? No, they did not. No, but I guarantee you, if you talk to Brian Dable before the Eagles game, he wouldn't have minded scoring more, though. I mean, yeah, no, but <laughs> if you talk about the Eagles, he's not going to tell you, okay, we get to 10, we're going to no. be okay no. to even stay within that style of a fight. No. And that's my point to the last caller because you also are well, relying it's foolish on. to talk about the Eagles today. It well, really is. Well, but they are Makes two of no the five. Sense. But I think his optimism was about the five remaining games. And he's well, entitled he's, to his emotions and his feelings. I'm not and, denying and that's that. That's what that is. Yeah. That's emotion and feeling. Sure. But call us back in a few weeks yeah. when you get there. Listen, even New Orleans, I would say, is another tough team that can put points on the board, even though their record is not glowing. So these other teams, the style of fight has to be very different than New England and Washington. Also, 
as good as the defense has been, to expect them to continue to get nine takeaways in the span of oh, two I know. games, Paul. I know. That's also not going to happen. It's no different than a boxing match. You know, there was some fights. Ali went in predicting a knockout in the fourth round. There were other fights. He went in, he danced for 15. Yeah, exactly. You know, you do what you think gives yourself the best chance to win. Coaches game plan and philosophy, uh, uh, use philosophies that will give themselves the best chance to win. And, you know, right now the Giants understand their limitations, and so they're not looking to put 30 points up on the board. That's not part of what they're doing right now because they know they're challenged. Let's head back to the phone lines. Cliff is in New York joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Cliff? Hey, guys. Thanks for everything. Uh, Always appreciate the grounding in reality from BBKL. Um, uh, I'm glad that Joe Shane addressed Evan Neal in the presser. Um, Me too. uh, yeah. I mean, all these experts about Neil's body type uh, not being suited uh, for the position, and it's like uh, Joe, Joe Shane and his staff and the coaches don't know anything about that kind of stuff, you know. So, so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm interested in the uh, – first of all, I'm feeling good about yesterday. It was a good feeling. There's a lot to feel good about, and it's also a reality check, you know, with, with the 10 points and all the other stuff. What I want to know is um, – I got some good feedback in the last few weeks from from Howard and Carl about, you know, my enthusiasm for the two rookies on the defensive line, Jordan Riley and uh, DJ Davidson. And I was, and I think what I've learned from them is that yeah, they're, 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 there's some promising signs there, but they're young players. That's what they keep emphasizing to me. You know, they're young players. They're they're just still coming along. I'm not going to see the dominant defensive line I'm looking for in, 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 you know, immediately is what I'm getting from them. And, and uh, to, to compliment Dexter and all that stuff. And, and on the offensive side, I'm hearing good things about John Michael and, and now Evan. And um, so what I'm interested in is what, what, do we, what do we know about the progress in the trenches? First of all, before you answer that, there's no reason not to have confidence in this regime right now. They've obviously done a great job of picking up on the progress, limited as it might have been from the last regime, and and continued. That first year of free agency for Joe Shane was incredible, and he did even better uh, than the second year and in the drafts also. So the question is, you know, I think when we're really going to see a difference in performance and to compete at the next level, uh, is, is going to be how are we doing in the trenches, um, and and um, uh, what what can we expect to see just in the um, in the um, uh, few games left in this season that that's going to inform us in in that regard. That's what I'm looking for, and I'll take that off the air. All right, Cliff. Appreciate the phone call. Well. You may not like it, Paul, but I'm going to have to bring the Eagles games back into play here because if he's asking about the final five games and you want to see progress in the trenches... Two against Philly. Well, you got two games against two really strong fronts, both on the offensive line and the defensive line. So you want to see progress, Cliff? Although Philly may wrap it up by then. Well, we don't know they, they may yeah, be the mathematically one where they are. But <laughs> Who I, knows fine, who they're going to play? The, the first matchup, though, at least, they're going to have something still to compete Probably. About. Because Probably. they're only two up on the Cowboys, and they're playing the Niners next week, too. So San Francisco is still within striking distance for the number one overall seed. How about the so. way Buffalo gave them that game yesterday? Oh, man. Unbelievable. Hey, Gabriel Davis, Josh Allen in the end zone. Game of inches. 
That could have ended the game. Oh. Well, that's football for you. Yeah. You can't leave the door open. And I mean, it just goes to show you everything that had to go right. You know, Jake Elliott in the rain, a 59-yard field goal. And then getting the offense on track. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of things on the checklist. But getting back to the Giants' perspective, I said you look at the upcoming opponents. It's not just Philly, by the way. Look at what Green Bay's defensive front did to the Lions, by the way, on Thanksgiving. Rashawn Gary had three sacks in that game. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get healthier because they're a little bit banged up. New Orleans with Cam Jordan. You want to know where you are in the trenches, at least in terms of your offensive line? You're going to have a handful of caliber teams that are strong in that area. As far as your defensive line matching up with the offensive lines, we mentioned Philadelphia is an elite group. New Orleans, they've been hit or miss this year. Green Bay, same thing. So I really would say Philadelphia is probably going to be the best test to see where the guys up front are and the ability to stop the run given Jalen Hurts and DeAndre Swift, as well as their other running backs, play an integral role. Los Angeles likes to run the ball based on who they have with Stafford. New Orleans, you got Alvin Kamara, who is not necessarily a conventional back. And Green Bay, we'll see what happens with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Jones has been banged up, so Dillon was the main guy on Thanksgiving. I think Philly's going to be, it still goes back to Philly, Paul, in terms of all of the marks that the last caller was talking about to seeing where the progress is. When you talk about the two lines, the Giants have to make an evaluation. And Joe Shane mentioned this about some of our younger backups moving forward to see how they will grade out against the prospects who will be coming into the draft. For example, he didn't mention these names, but I think I know what he's talking about. Joshua Azudu, Marcus McKeithen. Two guys who could be future starting guards on this team if, if the front office and the coaching staff believe that those guys can reach that level of play. We don't know where that stands right now. Yeah, well, they got to stay healthy. Right. That's the caveat. Yeah. And, and so the Giants need to figure out if they're going to upgrade along the starting offensive line, are the prospects coming out? going to show more promise than those two guys? And if so, how highly should those prospects be considered in the draft? On the other side, Dexter Lawrence is your foundation. Who who are going to be your other down linemen on defense moving forward? Well, you need to figure out what is your grade on DJ Davidson? What is your grade on Jordan Riley? And how quick is their upside going to emerge, if it is at all? You've got veterans in Nacho and Sean Robinson who very easily might wind up being one and done. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know if they're going to be long-term answers. You don't know. So I don't know if evaluating them is going to tell you anything. Right. Now, whether or not they come back, that's probably a secondary thought compared to what you think of the progress of the two young guys I mentioned and the guys that you might be able to get in the draft. Those are the evaluations right now to the caller that you really need to concentrate on because it's along the lines, as Lance has said multiple times, where the Giants' fortunes are really going to change if they're going to get to the next level next year. 
just to wrap things up, I think the problem is, as you mentioned, with those two offensive linemen that may be in play at guard, since they're hurt, you're not going to have anything to take away from it's really in the final hard. five games. It's really so hard. So the only thing that you're going to be able to take away from in the trenches is the play of DJ Davidson and Jordan Riley, assuming Riley gets more opportunities. Because I go back to, and I think I brought this up on a previous edition of BBKL, when Brian Dable recently spoke to the media, he was asked about guys like Jordan Riley, and he, he didn't necessarily say, we're going to take Nacho and Ashawn Robinson and put them to the side so that Riley can play more. Does that change coming out of the bye? Perhaps. It's possible that there's a different philosophy, but when he was asked about that, this must have been maybe four weeks ago, there didn't sound like an overwhelming amount of urgency. They felt, hey, we like Nacho, we like Ashawn, we're trying to win football games, those guys are going to play. Right. So until that shifts, Riley is still a question mark. Davidson we know plays. Davidson we know can contribute. But it's limited. If all we're going to tell you is one guy to look for, you're not going to be able to take a lot more beyond that. Well, again, Brian Dable has these players behind him, and he looks at these guys every day in practice and says, guys, we're trying to win games. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why these veterans are still seeing a greater share of the snaps. That's why, again, I know there's been a lot of injuries on the offensive line, but when you're seeing a Bredesen play and a Justin Pugh play, you know, they've got some other guys. They've even got a couple of guys on the practice squad. That could potentially, if they were just looking at the future, sure. they could say, all right, you guys, let's throw you guys in there. We haven't seen you. We want to get a look. But is is that fair to the locker room? No. We think that Justin Pugh and Bredesen give this team the best chance to win Sunday and give Tommy DeVito also yeah, well, and that's the best the chance. Excuse and, me. And I think your last point is most important because here's the thing. If you want to evaluate DeVito, you got to give him a line well, – that can at least help him and to be, be honest, somewhat productive. Too, you want to see Barkley. Yeah. You also don't want you don't want Barkley to have no room at all. You want to see, hey, if we're going to do something with Barkley, which Shane has now said they're going to try real hard to keep Barkley here at the end of the season. You got to know how high should that should that number be based on what he still shows you he's got at this point in his career after a significant amount of injuries. You want DeVito to operate with some semblance of a run game, and you want to put Barkley in a position to thrive and then take all of those things into consideration. Because once again, if DeVito's facing third and 15, third and 16, third and 17, Barkley's not running the ball because he's not an option. Right. And DeVito is not going to have a high level of success. And in order to avoid that, you're not going to avoid it completely because we're seeing veterans on the offensive line, but you leave those veterans in because at least they give you the best chance to remain competitive. With that being said, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Tuesday. And then, Pearson, is that it for this week? Okay, Tuesday is the end. Then everybody takes a breather. Everybody takes a break. We recharge the batteries. Paul doesn't. He still roams around the facility and wonders about Giants football and all that other good stuff. But everybody else tries to at least get a little bit away from Giants football. It's what I do. The man to my left is the exception to the rule. But enjoy the remainder of the week. We'll have one more show, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Today's program, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. And if you want to, and I highly recommend it, if you want to hear what Joe Shane said 
in full. Check out the full presser yeah. on Giants.com. Please because do. Context is important. Don't settle on headlines. Don't settle on even the bits and pieces that we tell you. Correct. We're giving an accurate portrayal, but I think it's important for you to go back, listen to the question, and listen to the full answer. Decide for yourself. Correct. I think a well-informed fan is the best possible fan. Without a doubt. All right. With that being said, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll speak to you next week right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.